All right, I am here with Christopher Karstens, the executive director, editor of Autoramus Bulletin. Good evening, Chris. Good evening, uh, Jesse. <laughs> this is a uh, a solemn Saturday evening at 9 p.m., and we decided to do a quick little podcast about what you can do on Sunday if your diocese has canceled all liturgies. Yeah, these are uh, wild and anxious and confusing times, aren't they? Yeah, it's uh, this is like this is like Catholic spring break. We don't have to do anything, right? Oh, well, uh, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> you want to do something so you're not simply just uh, being anxious and worrying and uh, I don't know spreading I, hysteria. Yeah, I got to tell you, I never thought I'd ever see anything like this in my entire life. And, you know, both of us are still fairly young, but you know, young. My, my parents have never seen anything like this. They're in their 70s. And it just it's so confusing for me. And I'm, I, I understand why it's being done, obviously. Mm -hmm. But I just can't wrap my head around it. And one of the things that I can't wrap my head around, and I would love for you to kind of expand on this, is if I can't go to mass, like what what do I do? Like what what am I supposed to do if I can't go to mass? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, I mean, that's part of the problem is, as you say, you can't wrap your mind around it, and and a, just about the time that you do. All of a sudden it changes and then you've got to change your right. mind and your plans, what you're going to do with your family or yourself or something like that. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's very confusing. Uh, and, and, you know, also compounding the confusion is that in in no two places really does it, does the does it seem to be the same? You know what's happening? Right. So in, I think where you are right in, in Chicago, uh, mm -hmm. the cardinal has uh, canceled masses. Is that right? masses and all liturgies as yeah, well. Yeah. yeah. And but, in fact, th so they're allowing weddings and funerals for today. They allowed weddings, but after today, which is, uh, we should just say this is Saturday, uh, on March 14th. Mm -hmm. So, but after today, there's no more weddings allowed. Um, and today there was only a provision that you could have a wedding or a funeral if it was under 250 people. Can mm. you imagine the stress of trying to mm. plan, replan your wedding. And oh my God, mm. I mean, all of these questions and we haven't even, we'll get to it, but, but Easter Triduum, like what, mm. what if this is going to last until then, are we not going to have an Easter Triduum celebration? Like I just, I cannot process this. So yeah. would you be able to kind of walk me through maybe some things that I can do tangibly with my, with my family tomorrow mm. to maybe get to a point where, um, you know, we're obviously not going to mass, but we're at least participating in that mindset. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I, I'd like to try to offer that. I mean, there, there are a lot of very good sources where you can go and look at uh, the merits or demerits of the various options that are being empl uh, employed. But what I hope, you know, just as you're asking, what we can do here is to say, OK, whatever the situation is, wherever you are, here's some ways where you can. Uh, actually try to engage in the in the Sunday liturgy uh, as fully and possibly as uh, as as you have uh, given the circumstances so these are the, here, I'm really gonna offer three three eh, we'll, we'll call them four ways <laughs> where, okay. where the Weiler family or the Karstens family which uh, incidentally in lacrosse Diocese of lacrosse where I'm from uh, masses aren't canceled but the obligation to attend mass has been lifted by uh, the bishop and this is not just simply for the sick but for 
even well people who might be concerned about uh, contracting the virus or something like that. So I, I might just drive out there tonight, man. If uh, you got mass going on there, although I, I think Rockford, uh, Rockford diocese has, has some liturgies as well. So, yeah, I think so. I think you're right. But uh, here, here's, here's three things that um, I don't know that, that I think might, might help to, to live a Sunday as fully as, as you possibly might. And I guess, uh, I, I kind of want to take um, this kind of end, entry point, and we'll, we'll get off of this uh, shortly, but just as an entry, uh, in the Code of Canon Law at uh, Canon 1248, and some people ask about this, uh, it, it says that if participation in the Eucharistic celebration becomes impossible because of the absence of a sacred minister or another grave reason, it's strongly recommended that the faithful take part uh, in a liturgy of the word, which, of course, we're not what we're supposed to do, mm-hmm. uh, uh, or devote themselves to prayer for a suitable time alone or as a family or, if possible, in groups. And so that's kind of the entry. So it is, first of all, uh, in the code that if you can't, if it's impossible, go to mass for some grave reason, you're certainly not under the, the pain of sin or something for doing so. But but know that the church's law says it's it's not it's not Jesse like you're on spring break. Uh, you do <laughs> to, uh, uh, to try to do uh, something, some sort of prayer. And I guess I'd, I, I want to suggest three or, as I say, maybe four different things. And the first has to do with the, the, the first kind of principal element of the mass, which is the liturgy of the word. And what I would suggest and in some ways, it's not really anything different from what we should be doing. And of course, there's a hundred things we should be doing all the time that we we usually don't get up to. But that's kind of a spiritual reading or what's called Lexio uh, Divina. So how this unfolds, right, is uh, you, you would read the reading. And let's say the gospel. Okay. So you would take mm-hmm. the gospel reading and, and tomorrow, which... Um, you probably know, is uh, the story of the Samaritan woman at the well and the encounter that she has with Jesus. And the first point of Lexio Divina is you read the reading, and then you read it again, and then you read it one more time. And ideally, you know, in a perfect world, you know, outside of uh, COVID-19 and other grave uh, uh, reasons, I mean, you'd start this a couple of days before. So, you know, maybe if it looks like you're not going to have mass the next Sunday, well, already next Tuesday, grab that reading for the third Sunday of Lent and start it on Tuesday. But you, you read the reading. That's the first point of Lexio Divina. The second thing that you do with the reading, and, and Jesse, this is a, really a great thing to do with, with a family. Um, you know, even a, even a three-year-old can contribute something to this. So, this so second, you're saying I have a chance. <laughs> you are. Well, listen to this. So the second thing that you do is you uh, you meditate or you reflect upon this. You've heard the reading a couple of times and there's certain things in the reading that start to, I don't know, jump out at you. And what they say you're supposed to do is imagine yourself in the scene, in the scene and smell mm-hmm. the smells and see the sights and hear the words and really try to picture it. And what you'll start to hear is that God is kind of giving you little whispers from his heart 
different to yours that are going to be different from mine or or Kim's, your wife's, or your kids or whatever. Uh, so we, we were reading this the other night and uh, in in the story, I'm, I I don't th- I'm not claiming this is what God is saying to uh, Zelly. So we have a, a three year old named Zelly, and you have a, mm-hmm. a three month old. Uh, yeah, five six months. Right. Yeah. Okay, uh, but Zelly says so. At one point in the story, Jesus says to the woman at the well that uh, yes, you're you're not married. You have five husbands, in fact. And just out of the mouth of babes, Zelly says, "I want five husbands when I." <laughs> no, you're not doing you're not doing this right. Uh, Marguerite <laughs> said, yeah, "There's all these talks la- lately about cisterns, right?" So Jesus meets the woman at the well at the cistern, and uh, the um, the store the the readings on Friday, the second week, was about throwing Joseph into the dry cistern and things mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. What's up with all these cisterns? I mean, who even knows what a cistern is? But the point is that after you read it and reread it and start to meditate upon it, you know, God is going to start to communicate something to your heart. Okay. And so after he's spoken to your heart, then, you know, the the liturgy of the word at mass or even outside of mass isn't a monologue where God is just monologuing to us, lecturing to us. He wants to dialogue with us, kind of a heart to heart talk. And so the third step of spiritual reading or Lexio Divina is you say something back to God who has just said something to you. Okay, Mm -hmm. so, for example, when when we've been doing this Lexio uh, in the family, you know, what's been coming to me is that uh, Jesus says something like, if you only knew who it was who was speaking to you. And so this seems to me what God has been saying to me is, you know, it's time to recognize Jesus, you know, see through the exterior into the interior. This is what I think God's saying to me, Chris. So what the third step, what do I say back to God? He's just spoken this to my heart. What's my heart going to say back to him? Uh, Something like, uh, uh, thank you, Jesus, for this uh, insight, you know, on multiple levels. Please send me your grace, send me your enlightenment so that I can see you in the midst of the day-to-day things of life and its struggles and its confusions and its anxieties and this current climate of what's going on. Help me to see you amidst and within and behind all of these things. And then one of the last steps of Lexio Divina is do something about it. You know, you've had this great heart-to-heart talk with God in the liturgy of the word at Sunday Mass, or at least basing yourself from Sunday Mass. Uh, what are you going to do about it? And so you make a resolution to act on this conversation you've just had with God. And so I'll at least be able to hear this reading tomorrow at mass and hopefully it will inspire me on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday when I, you know, just hypothetically speaking, meet someone who's anxious and upset and confused about what's going on. Oh, world. so you're hanging out with Dennis. <laughs> yes. well, possibly Dennis, yes. <laughs> to say something that, you know, to do your best to look behind all of this confusion to the rock, to Christ, who's really speaking to us in some mysterious way in all of this. Now, you know, it, so this Lexio Divina, Jesse, I mean, it's something that is supposed to insofar as possible, accompany the faithful and the priest, you know, uh, when we celebrate Mass. But there's no good reason why this can't take place outside of Mass. If for some reason you can't make it to Mass because there's a snowstorm or uh, you're in the hospital or your car won't start or the uh, or the diocese is canceled. If your car doesn't start, I, I doubt the first thing you think is, well, let me do Lexio Divina. Uh, you're right. It might not be the first thing, but it should uh, be something along the way. So this is what I would recommend to you or others who can't um, – 
can go to mass tomorrow is find the readings. You can find them at the USCCB website. Uh, you can find them in a lot of places. I think I saw, and I hope I'm not misspeaking for uh, Magnificat. Maybe you can uh, vouch for this, Jesse. I think they were opening all of their online materials to people who might be uh, quarantined or trapped at home. So, you know, there's another place Ooh. where you can get the readings. Wow. So, uh, so find the, if you can't go to mass, find the reading, do the readings as a family, start to think about, uh, what God is saying to you. ask your kids, what they hear God saying to them. It, it, it's, I think you'll be amazed at what they might start to hear and have this dialogue, this, this heart to heart talk with God. And so this is one way that you might come to unite yourself with Jesus through the word outside of the Sunday mass. It sounds like something God is telling me that I should do regardless of whether or not I could actually go to mass or not. Well, that's just true. That, that's exactly it. Is it is something that you know? Imagine your pastor is making up the homily, like in the sacristy ahead of time or during the first mm-hmm. reading, something like that. I mean, we'd be uh, you know rightly uh, you know indignant you know that he was doing that. But you know, his job is to make saints out of us, and you know, here we show up too often, just kind of cold, and we don't have any idea what's going on. I, I, the gospel of the Lord, praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I have no idea what I just heard. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you're right. On any given Sunday, you're supposed to prepare in this way. But I, you know, I think during these times where you can't go to mass, it can be a real, real, um, not a substitute, um, because there's something about hearing the word of God and this conversation within the liturgical context. But it can be one of those things that can help to help to bring us with some to some intimacy with Jesus. Sure, sure. All right. What else do we got to do? What else? what else? Okay. Here's another one. Uh, and it's uh, what's, so you have spiritual, um, spiritual reading or Lectio Divina. The second is based off of really the second part of the mass, which is the liturgy of the Eucharist. And it's called kind of a spiritual communion. And this is probably something you've heard about, right? Uh, vaguely. Yes. Vaguely. Yeah. What, uh, if I put you on the spot, <clears throat> what would you say spiritual communion is? Well, I would say that even outside of the liturgy, we are still a corporate body of Christ. We are still, you know, living stones. And so we still need to be communally spiritual, both with each other, but then also through Christ. And so the only, the Eucharist is not the only way that we can do that. We can do that through, through other sacramentals and through other paraliturgical things. That's really good. That's a really pretty good answer. I should be asking you the questions. <laughs> uh, you know, but you're right. Um, we read a reading recently in class by uh, by Louis Bouillet, and it was on uh, devotions and uh, saints and things like that. And he made this observation that, which is not his, but he says, you know, the the best way to come to union with Jesus is through martyrdom. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you want to actively participate in the saving action of Jesus, which is the Paschal mystery, the best way you can do that on this on the earth is to become a martyr. Uh, the second best way is to receive him in the Eucharist. But I think the point in this is that, as you just said, Jesse, you know, the Eucharist isn't the only way, but in fact, it's not even the best way that you can come to uh, divine intimacy with Jesus and his Paschal mystery. That sounds heretical, though, <laughs> because <laughs> well, it, the Eucharist is the source and the summit, right? Uh, it is, but it's kind of, um, you know, in the early church, when the when the when some of these um, 
I don't know, I think the word is hagiography, which is like a biography of a saint. Mm -hmm. uh, when, when they would describe their martyrdom, it would always be in these Eucharistic terms. And so Saint, um, uh, I always get Ignatius and Irenaeus confused. I think it's Ignatius of Antioch. Uh, wasn't he the one who was uh, killed in the, uh, in the Colosseum by lions? He I, says yeah, that, uh, I he believe so. He compares himself to being ground up like wheat beneath the or between the teeth of the lions. In other words, he's comparing his martyrdom to a Eucharist. Uh, his good friend was this uh, St. Polycarp of Smyrna who died in about 155. And in the accounts of his martyrdom, it says they tied him to a stake and they started to light the, the pyre. And it says he offered a prayer that was very much in the form of a Eucharistic prayer. And as the flames started to surround him, it said he, it said he glowed and even smelled like a loaf of baking bread. Again, the comparison between martyrdom and the Eucharist. And what Bouye says is in his uh, in this article that we read is there there used to be this thinking. It was never uh, approved by the church, but he said there used to be this thinking that at the point of martyrdom, the person had the power to confect the Eucharist. Right. So let's say Joan of Arc could have confected the Eucharist at the point of her martyrdom. Now, as I say. Bouye, Louis Bouye says that, you know, the church never said this was the case, but he only brings it up to say this is how closely associated people had uh, the, the close association they made between Eucharist and martyrdom. But again, you know, I'm not suggesting, Jesse, that instead of going to mass tomorrow, you go out and become a martyr. But I'm only saying but you're heavily implying it. Well, you know, if it comes. No, what I'm if saying it comes up, <laughs> if it comes up, what I'm saying is that uh, just as you said, uh, introducing this point, is there other ways besides the sacramental reception as perfect and um, excellent that that way is uh, to come to union with Jesus. And one of these things, well, one is just, you know, a life of asceticism and offering up prayers, works, joys, and sufferings and sacrifices in union with the sacrifice of Jesus to God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. And that's approaching what we mean by spiritual communion. I, I think the, the component to spiritual communion is kind of spiritual offering. And so be, I would say tomorrow, on the Lord's day, be especially conscious and teach your kids to do this and pray with them in the morning and throughout the day. For example, the, uh, what's called the morning offering where you pray and, you know, pray it in any variety of ways, but, uh, Oh Jesus, through the immaculate heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings, uh, in union with the holy sacrifice of the mass celebrated throughout the world. So you say to your kids, to your wife, you know, okay, we can't go to mass today, but it's time that we get together as a family. And I want everybody to think about something that's making them happy, you know, something that's making them sad, something that's making them worried, somebody you want to pray for. And you kind of, you collect these and you say, okay, now, in places throughout the world, the sacrifice of Jesus is being offered to God the Father right now. And I want you to put, imagine you're putting those in the chalice at those masses or on the patent with those masses so they can be given over so that you can be given over and your kids can be given over and your spouse can be given over uh, along with Jesus to God. And then kind of the, the counterpart of this, of course, is that God receives these wholehearted sacrifices and, you know, he, he burns away sort of that which is bad in us, you know, he, but he even wants that. He wants the good, the bad, and the ugly in all of us. And he, he burns us away. And those things that are good in us, he, he enlightens and he inflames and he perfects and he divinizes. And he wants to, 
give back to us in the form of grace, you know, the grace of Christ through communion. But now since you're not at mass, you have to make what's called a spiritual communion where you mentally and with your heart and with your mind and your mind's eye uh, is, is imagine receiving, you know, the host host means sacrifice, you know, back through the hands of the priest and you're receiving all of those things that are made up of the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, along with my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings up here in uh, La Crosse and those, you know, that are coming from the Weiler household uh, down in Illinois and from the church all around the world. And to come to a, kind of a spiritual union with Jesus and the whole mystical body in what is called the spiritual communion. So, you know, I, I, I don't know, Jesse, that um, it's a practice that's, you know, probably for you and me and a lot of people out there is not something that we're as familiar with because, you know, everybody goes to communion all the time. And I'm, I'm not re- recommending that people who aren't properly disposed, you know, refrain from communion. I mean. But um, uh, it doesn't seem spiritual communion, a practice that's is familiar with us to do today. But I only say that because as you explain, explain this to your kids tomorrow or a week from now is don't think you have to have, you know, the, the perfect answer for what spiritual communion is. If you give a C answer, that's okay. Just get your kids and your own and your, your family's heart joined with God and let him, let him uh, heal it, and perfect it and, uh, comfort it and give it back to you in spiritual communion. So, so yeah, that that makes me think of two things. One, and we've had this conversation before, but I'm, I'm always a little confused as to you know, let's say somebody can't can't receive the Eucharist for whatever reason, or you have somebody like my daughter who's just not of age yet. How, how are they supposed to actively participate in the holy sacrifice of the Mass if they're not actually? you know, getting to that point where they actually receive physically Christ. And so what you're saying here kind of gives me the information on how to do that. The second thing that it makes me think of is that if you can have baptism of desire, you probably could have a form of Eucharist of desire as well. You could probably have that communion just out of the sheer desire to want to receive Christ, even though you you physically can't. You know, to my way of thinking, which I hope is the church's way of thinking as well, I think baptism of desire and spiritual communion are operating on the same dynamic. Is that kind of just just like you and me tonight? It sounds like that. You know, so in baptism, I mean, sort of the person who's kind of behind and beneath the water and the oil and the garment and the processions and the candle is Jesus. A baptism of desire kind of gets the recipient to participate in in the Paschal mystery of Jesus by kind of, it's not the right way to, the theologians don't put it this way, but by kind of doing an end around of behind all of those sacramental signs. So it's a a coming to intimacy with Jesus in the Paschal mystery, but not through the sacramental means of water, candle, oil, and the rest. And the spiritual communion, I think, is very much the same. It's It's a coming to union, which is Union is the word that Cardinal Ratzinger uses to describe sacrifice in his book, The Spirit of the Liturgy. Spiritual communion is coming to unity, divinization, adoration with Jesus, but sort of not through the sacramental means of the appearances of bread and wine. It's kind of going around that and reaching intimacy by another means. But I think that's the right uh, analogy, Jesse. Wow. Wow. Well, that makes me feel smart and awesome. Mm-hmm. You 
And, yeah. and I'm just like, it's, it's just really enlightening because I, I, this is going to sound weird, but we kind of sometimes can get spoiled that we can just go to mass on Sunday and receive, you know, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I, and I think that from what you're saying, I would like to try and incorporate that spiritual communion in my life beyond the liturgy. And I think that would only help to enhance this transfiguration and, and sanctification process in myself. And it's yeah. something I, I mean, quite honestly, I didn't really know a lot about, and I'd like to try and, and implement some of those things in both in my life, but, but with my family as well. Yeah. yeah. Right on. Do it. Let me, let me suggest one eh, kind of a third way that's related to mass what, that you might participate in the Lord's day tomorrow. All right. And that has to do with the, um, the dismissal. So when you're at mass, you, you would hear the, the words, go forth, the mass is ended, go in peace, go and glorify the Lord by your life. What's the other one? Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Okay. But each of these uh, calls, these dismissals, you know, begin with this imperative to go and do something, right? And it's kind of like, uh, um, you know, last, uh, it was last Sunday's reading on the transfiguration and, you know, Peter wants to build these tents and, oh, it's so great that we're here. Let's just keep hanging out. And Jesus says, nope, can't stay here forever. Time to go back to uh, terra firma down below. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what uh, the dismissals are, is that to go out into the world and transform it. And I think that even if you're not hearing those words you know, physically or sacramentally or audibly at the mass, that sort of call or command to contribute to the sanctification of the world is something that you can hear even in your own home uh, to, to, you know, varying degrees. And so, I, you know, I'm not a, a, a doctor or any or public health official. And, you know, of course, we should we should uh, take under advisement all those things that were directed. But, uh, you know, whether you're going to mass tomorrow or you're not because uh, it's been canceled, you know, we still, the call remains to all of us to be saints who are at the service of others in whatever form that, you know, might take, you know, your neighbor, your students, uh, your parents, uh, the person at the gas station, the grocery store, you know, as you're fighting over that last uh, roll of toilet paper, whatever it is. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, that, uh, if there's any left, you know, that, um, you know, we're not released uh, from the call to be servants uh, of others. And so that's still another way. I guess I'd, I'd suggest for especially for the not especially, but including for those who can't go to mass is that. You know, the temptation, at least if you're me, is to kind of uh, look inwardly and huddle in and, you know, bring in the walls and tighten things up and just sort of focus on uh, my own needs and desires and fears and anxieties. But that's that's not what we're supposed to do. And it, and I when I try that, which I try it very often, <laughs> when I try it, it never works. But when I kind of forget about myself and to go outward and direct some of that anxiety and energy to helping other people, uh, it, it, it's better for me and the church and the world in a variety of ways. And so that would kind of be the third suggestion I would make to a way that, you know, a family or a person or a group who can't participate in the mass can still kind of be inspired by the mass in what they do tomorrow or a week after that or a week after that. Again, something we should be doing daily, like whether we go to mass or not, we should be, we should have that dismissal moment. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And I, you know, what you're saying before about kind of a familiarity breeds contempt and uh, mm-hmm. you know, we're just used to it. And some, somehow the kind of the, the unseen realities kind of get lost. But I think an occasion like this, whether you can go to mass or not, is an occasion to kind of step and like, okay, what, what, what is this that, that I'm all about mm-hmm. that, you know, that I can't participate in or that I can, but a diocese over can't, you know, so hopefully this will bring some of these things that, as you say, we should be doing regularly into relief. But, you know, in all of this, Jesse, you know, it's just that um, whether we should be doing these things all the time or not, they, they are still very powerful ways inspired by the mass, inspired by the liturgy, where we can come to participate in the Paschal mystery of Jesus. And so, um, you know, it'd be good to give a, uh, we could do another podcast in 48 hours and, and you could give a little uh, <laughs> accountability, but I, know, think, I think, I think we need a Lars liturgy and donuts <laughs> conversation. Let's hear that. But, you know, he, I think you'd find that, you know, the, the Sunday wasn't a bust. Sunday was actually pretty spiritually nourishing for me and my family if I did these things. So, you know, the church knows what she's doing. And if we listen to and these three things we talked about are certainly not they're not mine. It's the stuff the church calls us to do, uh, they'll work. You know, I, I said at the beginning, uh, there I had like three or four things. I, the fourth yeah, I was one, just going to ask, what's uh, the fourth one? The fourth one isn't uh, as closely associated with the mass, but it's still inspired by that is don't forget, you know, to supplement it by devotional life. So whether you're doing mm-hmm. a pray rosary, divine mercy chaplet, uh, whatever the particular devotions, or or even liturgy of the hours, liturgy of the hours, yeah. In fact, we sh- I, we told Dennis we would give him a shout out. That's so true. That's we, true. We try to get Dennis uh, uh, on on this as well, but he was uh, uh, he was not quarantined. He was out doing the Lord's work. He said he was hanging out with nuns. Yes, he said he was teaching nuns, so he couldn't join us. So. But yeah, he he's, pray the liturgy of the hours. Um, so there's a lot of things you can do. Just uh, you know, don't make it's not a it's not a free day. It's not a day. Well, I tell you what, it is a free day. But the more we our freedom comes from Christ, and the more we can engage in His uh, freeing uh, mysteries, the more free we become. So anyway, all right. All right. So I, I got to ask this because it's been on my mind. I mentioned it in the beginning. But what happens if if uh, the triduum is canceled. Yeah. Well, uh, keep next Saturday night free and we'll answer that question. (laughs) No, I did see that, uh, you know, the, the Pope's, uh, Easter liturgies, they're not canceled, but they'd be held in private. Um, I don't, I don't know. You know, this is, uh, you said at the outset, this is new territory for, Mm -hmm. I think everybody alive. I bet you miss the days when people just ask if you could eat meat on St. Patrick's Day if it fell on a Friday. Oh, the good old days. <laughs> you know, when's the Easter vigil supposed to start? You know, the, we're, we're asking more serious questions now. But um, I don't know. Despite all this, you offer up your and offer over your confusion and, uh, and unknowing to God. And, uh, you know, go back to Ash Wednesday. This is kind of like uh, yeah. Ash Wednesday uh, uh, ramped up. Uh, so, you know, keep it in that spirit, know that God's in charge, stay faithful, stay prayerful, stay holy, stay joyful to the best you can. And God will be glorified. We'll be sanctified. And my, and my last question is, do you have any book recommendations for spiritual communion? Because I think that's the thing that I think would be such a unique, um, 
you know, subject matter for people to really learn more about? Uh, I no, I nothing, nothing comes to mind. But I think what what I would say is that spiritual communion is about coming to union with Jesus, and so I would rely upon those books or those passages, those parts from Scripture that speak particularly to one's heart and that move the heart to join it with Jesus, because that's what's happening in a spiritual communion. And so whatever you can read uh, can help to, and can help to move one's heart is what you ought to be reading. All right. Well, thank you, Chris, very much. This has been an enlightening conversation. And again, I think these are things I should probably be doing a lot better, regardless of whether or not I'm able to attend the sacred liturgy. So, Yeah, you and me both, Jesse. <laughs> okay. And then I'll be praying for Zelly uh, to learn what monogamy is, too. All right. Sounds good. Bye.